Good morning. I want to welcome you this morning to Berean Bible Church. I want to talk to us this morning about trusting God. <laughs> Berean's family's had a difficult week this week. You know, we hurt, we grieve with Gary and Brenda as they deal with Brenda's stroke. So I thought it'd be profitable for us to just talk about faith, talk about trust in Yahweh. As believers, as those who have put our trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, we have assurance that we will go to heaven when our days on life here are over. But have you noticed that we are not blessed with having never to go through the pain and suffering and difficulty that unbelievers face. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Listen, Christians still have bad marriages. Christians still go through financial difficulties. Christians lose their jobs. They go through physical suffering. They get sick. They have accidents just like everybody else. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're never going to have a hard time. You're never going to face difficulties. Everything's going to be wonderful. Despite what the health wealth preachers may tell you, you can walk very closely with God and suffer very deeply. As a matter of fact, I think there's a connection there between suffering very deeply and walking very closely. I really do believe that. So if you're looking for a prosperous, easy life, you probably won't have the depth of fellowship that those who suffer will have. Well, why is it important for us to understand this? Well, I think it's obvious that everybody suffers with the pains of life. And we need to understand this truth so we can learn to deal with it when disaster hits. You know, if you've got this attitude that, you know, health and wealth and everything's coming up roses because I'm a Christian, you're going to be really hurt, really disappointed, really knocked off balance when the trials come. So what does God expect from us? I mean, as we're going through trials, as these difficult times come upon us, as we're dealing with the storms of life, what does He expect from us? I would have to say that most Christians view He doesn't think He doesn't expect anything from us. We expect a lot from Him. But what does He expect from us? What does He want from us? More than anything else, God wants us to trust Him. Just to trust Him. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. You know, there is no way our relationship with God can be pleasing to Him unless we trust Him. He wants our trust. And apart from faith, we can't please Him. So apart from faith, it doesn't matter what else we do if we're not trusting in Him. You know, a very basic and simple fact of life is this. All the valuable relations we have in life are built on trust. You know, if a husband and wife quit trusting themselves, they still have a marriage, but it's not a good one. Relationships are built on trust. I always try to teach my kids that if I trust you, you can just do just about anything you want. If I don't trust you, you can't do anything. It's important. It's important in friendships. It's important in all our relationships. And if that's true in our human relationships, how much more in our relationship with our Father? And the writer says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. This is an axiomatic truth. He uses an aorist tense here in the infinitive to please. And the idea is, without faith, it's impossible to please Him 
at all. This statement is universal in its application and it's timeless. This is how it is. This is how it always was. Without faith, it's always impossible to please Him. And the author of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians who are suffering, who are going through persecutions from the hand of their Jewish brothers. They're discouraged. They're on the verge of turning away from Christianity and going back to Judaism. Because they just had enough of the persecution. And so he's exhorting them to endurance in their Christian lives. In 10.35 and 36, he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, free of need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. See, in the midst of trials and persecutions, a person's faith may waver. They may even turn from faith. I've seen it happen in many lives. Because they have this mentality that, you know, everything's supposed to be the way I want it to be. And if it's not, then God's something's wrong with God. You know, if we understand that the letter of Hebrews is a call to go on believing, to go on trusting, then when we get to chapter 11, it makes a lot of sense. It's not an explanation of how to get saved. It's rather a call to perseverance and faith, whatever the odds. Hebrews 11 gives us many examples of men and women who have grown strong in their faith and because of their faith they have lived victorious lives. In verses 32 through 35 of chapter 11, we see the victories of faith. It says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, (laughs) David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. These believers overcame every imaginable type of adversity through faith. Samson defeats a thousand men. David killed Goliath because they trusted God. And the dominant thought in all these examples is triumph over adversity. Victory and accomplishment in spite of trial. This is one great side of the experience of faith. But I'm sad to say there is another. And this verse, verse 35, I cut off verse 35 right in the middle. Because the verse has a, there's a strong transition here and it does this. Others were tortured. You're just reading all these marvelous things. They're conquering. They're victorious. And all of a sudden, others were tortured. Whoa, who put that in there? Not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The rapid transition here of thought of unrelieved suffering is just very effective. If you're reading it and you're excited, yeah, victories of faith. All of a sudden, others were tortured. Whoa. Faith, people, is not always rewarded in this life with pleasant things. It's my opinion. This is even a greater manifestation of the power of faith when you see it in the trials. 
face power to enable those to suffer who would otherwise not been able to deal with this. Here's a group of people that didn't gain great victories out on the battlefield. They didn't perform great feats for God, but in my opinion, these are the heroes of faith. Because in the midst of persecution and pain and suffering, they trusted God. They trusted Him when the day was dark, when the night was long, when suffering was great, when there was no deliverance at all. These are people who knew God. It's so easy for us to trust God when everything is just the way we want it to be. God is so wonderful. As soon as disaster hits, we're like, what's wrong with our God? Nothing. You just don't know. That's the problem. The writer says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. This is not belief in the existence of a God. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the existence of the God of the Bible, Yahweh. The God of the Bible is holy. He is just. He is good. He is loving. But he is also wrathful. He is merciful. He is sovereign. We must believe that God is who he says he is, not who we want him to be. He says in that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. King James says those who diligently seek him. I like that. That's kind of the idea here. God rewards those who seek him. And so I'd ask you this morning, do we seek him? And what does that mean to us? How do we seek a relationship with God? And why don't we spend more time doing that? Do we not believe Him when He says that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him? To seek Him in an intimate way, that's the idea of seeking Him. To walk with Him. I think that it should be obvious that we can't live by faith if we don't know what faith is. And today, this is a clouded subject. You ask people, what is faith? They're like, you know, they'll come up with some kind of answer. But what does the Bible say? I mean, if you ask, someone asked you, what is faith? Because you say, well, you've got to believe in God. You've got to trust. What is faith? Could you explain it? Well, before I tell you what it is, let me dispel some myths. Some people say that we live by faith every day. We turn on the faucet, we fill a glass of water. That's faith. It might be. <laughs> All right? You know? Or they say you open a can of food and you eat it, and that's faith. Because you don't really know who put that stuff in there. Or you don't really know what's in there. And you don't really know what's coming out of the faucet. Or you fly in an airplane. That's faith. Those things are not faith, people. Thousands of people do that stuff every day. They don't even think about it. That's simply the law of mathematical probability. I've seen other people do it. I do it. I never thought about drinking out of the faucet until in my 50s. I was more concerned with what came out of there. Because as a kid, you saw it come out. People drink it and they didn't seem to die. You know? So that's not faith. You're just doing something you've always seen done. You're not trusting anyone or anything when you do that. And faith is not wishful thinking. That's a, you know, so many people make faith into wishful thinking. I want certain things to happen, so I'm having faith that they will. That's just your wishful thinking. Because unless you have a promise from God, you can't have faith. Many people like the girl who was asked to define faith. She says, faith is believing what you know isn't so. That's not faith. That's not faith at all. Some people think faith is just some kind of gamble, some shot in the dark. That's not faith. Faith, listen, faith is always intelligent. It knows what it's doing. Biblically defined, 
Faith is understanding and assent to a proposition. For example, if I owed you money, and you came to me and said, look, I really need my money, and I said to you, the check's in the mail. Do you believe me? That's a proposition. The check's in the mail. Do you know? Do you understand that? You understand what a check is, hopefully. You understand what the mail is, so you're like, oh, that's a little sketchy. I don't know what's going to, the government organization going to really bring that check to me. The check's in the mail, so you understand it. It's not about understanding only. What determines whether you believe that statement? What you think of me, right? I mean, if you don't believe me, if you don't trust me, I'm going to say check's in the mail, you're going to say, yeah, right. So it's not, you're believing that proposition because you have trust in the person who made the proposition. Yes, I think they're, I think they're man of their word, woman of their word, they said it, and I believe it. Amen. Alright? So when I, when I make that statement, if you believe me, you're trusting me and you're trusting what I said or you're not. Look at Romans 4, verse 20 21. And yet with respect to the promise of God, now notice that, God made Abram a promise. He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now watch, being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham believed what God told him. That's faith. You know, no matter what the subject, whether it's God or botany, the psychology or linguistics of faith is identical. Believing 2 plus 2 is 4 is arithmetic, and it's true whether you've got new math or not, okay? Believing that asparagus belongs to the lily family is botany. Botany is not mathematics, but the psychology or linguistics of believing is identical. Christ's promises of salvation are vastly different from the proposition of botany, but believing is always thinking a proposition is true. The difference between various beliefs lies in the objects or the propositions believed, not the nature of faith. And this is so important because some people say, well, you believe, you just didn't believe the right way. Or you believe with your head, but not with your heart. Well, what does that even mean? My heart is a muscle. A blood-pumping muscle. How can it think anything? Faith must begin with knowledge. It deals with the mind. You can't believe what you don't know or don't understand. I understand the teaching of evolution. I don't believe it. The neurologist was talking to me about the MRI, Brenda's MRI, and he was showing me pictures of the brain and showing me spots where the brain had died because of lack of oxygen from the stroke. And then he told me this. He said, the parts that have died, the, the living part will make up, they'll, it'll start adjusting and taking over those areas that need to be done. And I just stood there in awe thinking, what an awesome God. How does a doctor not believe in God? The brain just says, oh, well, that part's not working. Well, I've got to take over. And just starts building new neuron paths to take over the area so the body can keep doing what it's supposed to do. It's incredible. Belief is the act of assenting to something understood. But understanding alone is not belief in what is understood. I understand dispensational theology. I don't believe it. <laughs> 
And if you understand it, you're something special because it's really hard to understand, all right? Because I taught it and I still had a hard time understanding it. So maybe I say I kind of understand it because it's really confusing, but I don't believe it. Soren Kierkegaard, any of you familiar with Soren Kierkegaard? He was a Dutch theologian of the mid-19th century. Did more damage to the church than, than good, I think. He greatly influenced the church's thinking. He taught that it really makes no difference what we believe. He said the what is unimportant. What is important is the how. The how. Well, people, there are not different ways of believing. There are only different things to believe in. We often hear people say, oh, they're really sincere in their faith. Does that matter if they're believing the wrong things? They're sincerely wrong, is all that means. Okay? The church has taken Kierkegaard's teaching on how to come and come up with this head and heart thing. You know, Kierkegaard taught that, you know, you could take an Orthodox Presbyterian and he could be praying to God, but he's praying cold and, and there's no passion behind it. And then you could take a Hindu who doesn't even understand God, but he's praying with passion and so he's praying to the true God. Infinite passion was his thing, you know? I'm like, that's just ridiculous. The Bible doesn't make any such distinction. Scripture never contrasts the head and the heart, but it frequently contrasts the heart and the lips. It's called hypocrisy, okay? The Christian life starts with an act of faith. We believe that Christ will save us as we trust Him alone for redemption. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise. When I believe in Christ, I am given everlasting life. When I come to the living God as a guilty sinner who deserves only judgment and I trust in Yeshua and Him alone for my redemption, I am engaged in an act of faith because I've never seen God. I've never seen this place called heaven. I've never seen Yeshua. But by faith, those things which I cannot see become realities to me. They take on substance for me. And I gain assurance and conviction about things that my eyes can't see. That's what faith is all about. But trusting God for my eternal salvation is only the beginning. It's a start of a journey that cannot be traveled successfully any other way but by growing in faith. We need to distinguish between saving faith and walking in faith because thousands of believers have trusted Christ for their salvation, but they're not living by faith, trusting God each and every day, every area of our lives. You know, we got this idea of well, the big things I can need to God for, the little things I can handle. No, you can't handle anything, okay? Breathing is a little thing. You can't do that apart from God, okay? And in my opinion, the church today is impotent. It's got no power. And you, you know, I wonder why. Why is the church so impotent today? What distinguishes Christians from their unsaved neighbors? I mean, if you take a Christian and you got unsaved living right next to them, they look at the two, what's the difference? What makes the difference? I think the answer should be faith. We should be people who live by faith every day and in every way. We're trusting God for every area of our lives. But I don't think we see that today. And I think the environment we live in is hard for that because we don't really need to trust God. You know, there's a grocery store in the corner if I'm out of food and I got cards in my plastic and you can buy. And you know, What do you need God for? Why would you pray, give us this day our daily bread when we got you know, we don't know what it means. We, we think we don't know. But listen, again, I don't care how much you have and how many cupboards you have full of food and everything you have, your life is all subject to God in every way. 
And I think what we have to understand is that there are degrees of faith. You know, we often think of terms you either have faith or you don't. But that's not true. The Bible talks about various degrees of faith. Again, back to Romans 4 here. He says, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. And that strong faith was giving glory to God. He didn't have weak faith. He trusted God. This shows that their degrees, our Lord charges his disciples in general, and Peter in particular, as having little faith. They had faith, but unlike Abraham's, it was deficient. It wasn't strong. Look at Matthew 6.30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, people grab the illustration here. Grass, which is alive today and tomorrow's thrown into fur. It's just grass. If he takes care of grass, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Why can't you just trust him? Speaking to Peter, walking on the water. You know, Peter saw Yeshua on the water. He's like, whoa, this is cool. Can I come to you? Yeah, come on out here, Peter. He got out and he's walking on the water until he started looking at the waves. And then he yells out, Lord, save me. People, that's prayer, okay? It's not, he didn't, thou most beneficent God, you know, he didn't go into all this flower. He just said, save me, Lord, boom. God reached out his hand and saved him. Immediately, Yeshua stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith. Why'd you doubt? You were walking on the water, Peter. Why did you doubt? Because he focused on the circumstances instead of the Christ, and his faith grew weak. And I think most of us can relate to that. You know, we've had opportunities, we have moments of strong faith, but those circumstances really can mess us up. Yeshua said that the centurion had great faith. Matthew 8.10 Now when Yeshua heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And the disciples come to Yeshua and they say, Lord, increase our faith. We have faith. We want to increase it. In Acts 6.8, Stephen was said to be full of faith. The word there is pleros. It means complete or mature. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul said that he wanted to perfect that which was lacking in their faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul said your faith grows exceedingly And James talks about dead faith, and he talks about mature faith. So scriptures speak of little faith, great faith, weak faith, strong faith, lacking faith, perfect faith, dead faith, full faith, growing faith, increasing faith. There's degrees of faith. All believers are not at the same place in their walk with the Lord. They don't have the same degree of faith. Some believers are weak in faith. Some believers are really weak in faith. And the problem is a trial comes and boom, it knocks them completely off balance because their thinking is wrong. We start from the wrong perspective. We have some kind of idea that God owes us. And if you come from the perspective, God owes me nothing. I deserve nothing but wrath. Anything we get is like, oh, thanks. (laughs) That's grace. Call it what it is. It's grace. All right? We live by grace. Let me show you an example, an awesome example in the Scripture of strong faith. All right? We'll get to this in a few weeks in John, John 4. But I, I'll throw it in ahead of time, all right? <laughs> Therefore he came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Yeshua had come out of Judea into Galilee, 
He went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he's at the point of death. This guy is desperate. He hears about Yeshua. He says, I'm going to go. Maybe I can get some help. Maybe he'll help me. I mean, he's desperate. His child is dying. He's going to do whatever he can do, right? It says, Yeshua said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Yeshua is concerned that the man's faith is based only on signs and wonders. And the royal official said to him, sir... Come down before my child dies. He's compelling Christ to act. Lord, just come with me, please. I I, I know you can do something if you just come with me. Well, instead of coming with him, Yeshua said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Yeshua spoke to him and he started off. So here's the proposition. Go, your son lives. Do you believe it? You understand, right? That we understand what it means, but do you believe it? Well, if you trust in Yeshua and you believe he is an honest man and he has the power to do this, and you say, "Okay, my son lives," but it says the man believed the word. He believed the proposition that Yeshua gave him. He believed it. Your son lives. He understood it and he believed it. What would you do at this point? Run home as fast as you can and see what happened. Right? I'm not there. I'm not. I'm away from my son. I gotta, you know. This would be difficult, people. I'd like to take... Well, how about... Okay, good. Come on. You come with me anyway. All right? <laughs> I want the healer with me anyway. Okay? Because, yeah, I believe you, but, you know, it's one of those things, Lord, help my unbelief. Not this guy. This guy, this is good. He's done. That's good. Okay. Son's healed. Let's go. Text says, as he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he gets home and his son hey, he's living. He's good. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday. Yesterday, Canaan and Capernaum were a short distance. We're talking four or five hours, okay? The Lord healed him at one o'clock, or said he was healed at one o'clock. He could have been home by five or six o'clock that night. I don't know what he did, but he didn't even go home. He stayed in town that night. He went home the next day. That is strong faith. You should have said, that's it. He's done. He took it to the bank. And he just went about his business. That is strong faith. You know, and I think the more you walk in faith, the more you walk in victory, the more you walk in joy, we learn to live by faith and we understand that faith pleases God and it pleases us when you're walking in fellowship with God. All right, It's it's a beautiful place to be because it doesn't matter what's happening around you. It's not about circumstances. It's about your relationship with the living God. So how do we increase our faith? I mean, if we want to walk with God, we want to be strong in our faith. We want to go from weak faith to strong faith. How do we do that? Well, I think there's two main factors that determine this. First is our knowledge of God. You know, I think the main explanation of the troubles and difficulties that most Christians experience today is a lack of understanding of who God is. They don't know God. This is theology proper. They don't know who God is because they've never dug into the Word of God. They've never read it. They've never seen this God. You know, it's amazing to me that you can be a Christian for years and years and years and never even have read the whole Bible. I'm like, don't you wonder what's in those parts you haven't read? We need to study the revelation that God has given of Himself and His character. That's how we develop strong faith. You know, as you go through the Gospels and you see Yeshua and you learn about your God, this is God incarnate walking and you watch what He does and you see how He has compassion for people and cares about people. It's encouraging. It strengthens our faith. 
The more you know God, the more you'll trust Him. Martin Luther said this to Erasmus. I think this, tr- this statement is so true today. He says, your thoughts of God are too human. That is one of the biggest problems we face, people. We have took God, we've put Him in a box, we've naturalized Him to the point where it, nothing supernatural exists anymore. It, everything is human. That's not God. God is not human. He is God. And I think if we get beyond this human thinking about our God and realize who He is and what He can do, there's no limits, people, when we walk in faith. Romans 10, 17, faith faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We need to spend time in the Word of God because it's the Word of God that teaches us about it. You're not going to learn about God anywhere else but in the Word of God. And the more time you spend, the more you're going to learn about Him, the more you're going to be able to trust Him. So we increase our faith by knowledge. But the second thing here is application of what we know. You gotta, you gotta apply what you know. See, a knowledge that never ventures out upon what it knows will never be strong faith. And, you know, God will test you <laughs> as you grow. Alright? Look at Luke 8, 22 through 25. Now, on one of those days, Yeshua and his disciples got in the boat and he said to them, let's, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, but as they were sailing along, they fell asleep. He fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped. First of all, in this culture, the Near Eastern culture, bodies of water represented chaos. They represented evil. All right, They were an opening to the underworld, to Sheol. So they're not real happy being on the lake in the first place. And now the storm's kicking up, and they're like, we're going to be swallowed up right into the underworld. And it came to be in danger, and they came to Yeshua, and they woke him and said, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped. Watch, and it became calm. The ripples never even hit the shore. It just went to glass. Can you imagine standing on that boat, and you're looking out, and you're thinking, what kind of man is this? Who is this that's in our presence? And look what Yeshua says to him. Where is your faith? Should they have trusted him? I mean, if they knew, they knew Yeshua. They'd been with him for a while, right? You're on the boat, storm's kicking up. The proper attitude would be to sit back and smile and say, I can't wait to see what Yeshua's going to do. This is going to be awesome. He's going to do something great. Because I want to show you what happened previously. Before they got on the boat, they were at a funeral in Luke 7. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. This is our God. He's compassionate for the widow because she lost her son and she's got no one to take care of her. So he said to her, don't weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Yeshua gave him back to his mother. All right, this happened previously. This happened before the waves scared him, we're out there drowning. Why? If I drown you, she will raise me from the How can you be afraid when you're in the presence of someone What can hurt you? And I think Lazarus understood that. And that's why he's the only one at the cross. All the other guys are hiding. He's there because he's like, hey, this guy raises the dead. I don't care what anybody does. They weren't applying their faith. 
So in addition to our knowledge of God, this is a very important element. We need to apply what we know. Which people, because we're people who forget so quickly, we need to constantly be reminded of what we know. We need to help each other remember what we know. One, one thing I'm absolutely committed to is the absolute sovereignty of God. No doubt. But I've had people come alongside of me in great trials and say, remember, God's on the throne. And I'm like, thanks. How could I forget that? But when they told me, it was encouraging to me. I'm like, you're right, you're right. i got to get this together here. You know, at times we apply what we know and we come through problems and difficulties victorious. He's on the throne, he's ruling, he's controlling. We're like David when he faced Goliath. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending the father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after and attacked him. Okay, he took the lamb, I'm going to get it back, okay? And I rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. All right, I'm going to take this huge Philistine. I'll show him who God is. Now listen, all his older brothers, all the armies of Israel are hiding behind the hill. Saul, they're all hiding. They're terrified. Goliath's standing out there in the valley. Come on, send somebody out here. And they're all just shivering. And here goes this little shepherd boy. I'll take care of this. Because I know God. And I'll walk in faith. And he walks out there and he swings his little stone. And the guy, you know, mocks him, of course. Come to me with sticks and stones. Yeah, take this one. Boom. Takes his own sword and cuts his head off. Okay, there you go. Then all of a sudden, everybody's brave. All of Israel gets up, yeah, that's all it takes. Listen, and I think there's a, there's a story there, people. When someone steps out in faith and you see it, you're encouraged. Yeah, we need to trust God. We need to do that. And yet there's times, David the giant killer kind of lost it, right? Look at 1 Samuel 21, 12 and 13. David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity. <laughs> I wonder how many people do that. <laughs> Questionable anyway. They're disguising their sanity before them. He acted insanely in their hand. This is David, the giant killer. He scribbled on the doors of the gate and he let his saliva run down his beard. He's acting like he's totally mad. Why? Because he's afraid. What happened to the giant killer? He wasn't applying his faith. He forgot about his God. And later through the Psalms, David writes, and he's in the cave reflecting on this. And you know what he starts doing? He starts going over his theology. He starts reviewing what he knows about God, and he just is strengthened and encouraged. And that's what we need to do, people. First of all, we need to know the truth, and then we need to constantly be reminded of the truth. Who God is. So we're not ended up in a situation drooling all over ourselves and scribbling on things. All right? Because we've been there, right? You've been there. Your faith is strong. One day I'll take on anything. You're charging the gates of hell. And the next day you're wetting your pants and crying all the way home. You know what happened? You're not applying your faith. We need to apply what we know. Hebrews 13.5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. Why? For God himself said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You understand that proposition? <laughs> Do you believe that proposition? 
I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's a promise from the sovereign God of the universe. He's always with us. And when we fail to trust God, we doubt his sovereignty, we question his goodness. And listen, what we have to understand, God views our distrust as seriously as he views our disobedience. When the children of Israel are hungry, they spoke against God. Now again, backstory, the children of Israel, what had they seen through the Exodus? Could, I mean, can you imagine what they saw? The marvels they saw. Well, here's their response, Psalm 78. They spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? What's the answer to that question? Of course he can. What a dumb question. You saw what he did. All right. Behold, he struck the rock so the waters gushed out and the streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Uh, Yeah, I think he can do that. Will he provide meat for his people? Yeah, he can do that. Therefore, Yahweh heard. He heard their murmurings. He heard their complaining. He heard their lack of trust. And he was full of wrath. And a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger mounted against Israel. Why is he so mad at them? Well, the next verse tells us. Because they did not believe in God. They just didn't trust him. And and you can't please him without trusting him. Because that's what he wants for his people. Trust. Loyalty. Faithfulness to him because he's worthy of our trust. But in order to trust God, we need to always view our adverse circumstances through the eyes of faith. I don't understand this. I don't understand why this is happening. It's very painful, but you know what? God's in control, and he's got his hand on the thermostat, so it might get hot, but I know who's controlling it. All right? You know, many folks have reduced Christianity to a bunch of rules. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. They think they're pleasing God by doing certain things, but what God wants is our faith. He wants us to trust him. We're to live by faith, trusting him in every situation of life. And again, in order to trust Him, we've got to know Him. David said, those who know your name will put their trust in you. Now, we've gone over this before, so you understand the thought of name means character. Okay? It's not, you know, those who know Yahweh will trust. No, it's not the idea. It's not the, you know, the yod heh that they're trusting. They know His character. We know the character of Yahweh so we can put our trust in Him. When you know God's character, you can trust Him. Do you know God well enough to trust Him through the storms of life? To have confidence in Him, to believe in Him no matter what is happening around you? To know God's name is to know Him in an intimate, personal way. It's confidence that your adversity, even though you don't see it, even though you don't understand what's happening, you just rest and trust. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And true peace and true freedom from anxiety can only be found. And trusting Him. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Why is that? Because He trusts in you. Trust in Yahweh forever. For Yah, Yahweh, we have an everlasting rock. Trust Him. Psalm 20, verse 7. Love this. Some boast in chariots, some in horses. But we will boast in the name of Yahweh our God. We boast in our God's character. You know, today we could you could put whatever you want in there. Some boast in jobs. firearms, jobs, politics. Ah, if we get the right politician in, the world will be great. You can boast in whatever you want. We'll boast in the character of our God. We're to trust Him. Not in our own strength. We trust Him. 
And we're able to trust him when we remember his name because his name is about his character. Isaiah said in Isaiah 50, 10, Who is among you that fears Yahweh, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. That's what we need to do. He exhorted the servants to walk by faith, trusting in Yahweh. The name of God is reveals his character. And this is why as you read through the scriptures... It's really encouraging to see so many names of Yahweh. And what I'm talking about is the compound names that are listed in Scripture that tell us about Yahweh. Let me share with you just a few of them. Yahweh Ra'ah. This is found in Psalm 23.1. It means Yahweh is my shepherd. I know that doesn't mean a lot to us because we don't know anything about sheep or shepherds or anything. But without a shepherd, the sheep, they'll die. They're the stupidest animals on the planet. They will die without a shepherd. They'll, you know, they, he's got to do everything for them. And like a shepherd, the Lord leads us. He cares for his people. This raw title is also used in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, where it's translated, Yahweh will provide. And that's a shepherd's job. A shepherd provides for his sheep. He cares for them. He makes sure they have everything they need. So if the Lord's our shepherd and he's providing for us, we can rest. Yahweh nace. Exodus 17, 5 means Yahweh my miracle. Or Yahweh, my banner. And the idea that He's the standard under which we rally as the people of God. And we're safe under the banner, under the miracle of Yahweh. Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh, our healer. He heals in every way. Not just physically, emotionally, spiritually. He is our healer. Yahweh Sham. Ezekiel 48.35 means Yahweh is there. I love it. He's there. God is there when you need Him. There's no place where He is not. You know this one? Yahweh Shalom. Judges 6, 23 and 24. Yahweh is our peace. And through Him we find inner peace. There, even in the midst of the greatest storm. Because He is the peace. And Yahweh Tzidkenu. Yahweh our righteousness. He's our righteousness. Through Christ, He imparts righteousness to us. This is an awesome thought that He is our righteousness because we have none of our own. But we, he is, we have been given His very righteousness. So if you wonder about your standing in His sight, <laughs> you're as righteous as He is. That's a good place to be. You know, as you can easily see from the meanings of these names, and there's a lot more in Scripture, all right? Each name reveals something of the nature of the character of our God. It also reveals something of the provision of God that He's promised through that name. If you're going to trust God, we need to first know His name. We can only come to know His name as we spend time in Scripture, seeing Him work, reading His promises, understanding them. In the written Word, God has displayed Himself to us. Manifesting His glorious perfections, His matchless attributes. We learn about His omniscience, His omnipotence, His omnipresence, His moral character, His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, His mercy. It's revealed through the blessed titles. He's the rock of Israel. That term rock is used more than anything else. He's a rock. (laughs) You can get on it. He's unmovable, okay? He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all grace. And the more we walk with Him, And trust in Him. The more we please Him, the better our life is. Because, like I said, circumstances don't matter when you're in the right place. 
You know, you read so many, the voice of the martyrs this morning. You know, you're in a place where you're walking with God. They're breaking your, you know, fingers and they're torturing you. And yet you're walking with your God and things are good. All right. Let me close with a story this morning. Ann Sullivan. Anybody know who Ann Sullivan is? She was born in Feeding Hills, Massachusetts. She was born in poverty and affliction. She was half blind. When her mother died, she had no one to take care of her. They sent her to the poorhouse. But later at the Perkins Institute for the Blind, she received an operation and she got her sight. And on that day, she devoted herself to the care of the blind. Meanwhile, a baby was born in the South, a little girl who, after early childhood, would never hear, speak, or see again. Her name was Helen Keller. And in time, Helen came under the care of Ann Sullivan. And in two weeks, Ann taught her 30 words just by spelling them out by touching her hand. Under the tutelage of Ann, Helen rose to national prominence and fame. Teacher and pupil became companions, and they were inseparable until the day of Ann's death. In her darkness, Helen found a companion who could teach her and whom she could trust. And believe her, if you really want it, you can have a companion along the pathway of life. And though you can't see him, you can trust him. And he can teach you and be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we want to trust you. So often I feel like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to know your name. I want to know it that gives us the confidence that no matter what happens, we smile knowing you're in control, waiting to see what you'll do next. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray it would be precious to us because it reveals you. And through its pages, we see your face. We see your glory. Give us a hunger, Lord, to walk with you, to be pleasing to you through a life of faith. Amen. Mm-hmm.